Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, we are like heading heading into like this week and then next week is going to be the big one a bunch of like summer finales and unlike the last time we had a wave of finales no we don't have new shows really premiering to counter them lovecraft country is starting next week uh but other than that um things are about to get sparse yes yes they are um and they're going to be sparse for a while I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to get creative. We're headed into our Make You Watchathon here in just a couple weeks, too. So right. that will give us, I mean, and obviously with streaming a place, we've had plenty of other TV to talk about. But uh, we're it's, it's it's get creative time here at the Televerse. So Slash, Kate's going to watch a lot of anime. <laughs> I look forward to some interesting episodes in the next, in the next you know, four, five months. We'll see. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We can get at least an extra episode out of the end of the year stuff. We can do like a reflections on television in court. Like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Listeners, I'm going to make Kate watch just so much anime from the late 90s, early aughts that she's just going to fire me and bring Allison <laughs> on the show. Or Emily Stevens finally assumes the throne. Yeah. This has all been a long con. Emily started the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Just to the, just to get us to hear, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. There's some some TV news this week. Uh, there's other stuff that I haven't been following, but this week uh, the 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 good news that I saw was um, that over on Hulu, Padmalakshmi's uh, Taste the Nation or Taste the Nation with Padmalakshmi, I should say, uh, got renewed for a second season. So looking forward to that. Uh, there's going to be a new David Chang docu series on Hulu. So uh, I know that we were not as fond of. His new, uh, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but we were still yes. super on board with Crazy Delicious, or sorry, Ugly Delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm curious for what that'll be. There's some other, you know, renewals and, and new orders at Hulu this week, but those are the two that stuck uh, out to me. Um, in bad news, over at Bon Appetit, um, we have finally, after, you know, months uh, of them off the, the YouTube air uh yeah news about what's happening with the contracts uh priya sola and rick are all going to be leaving video and those are three of their uh chefs of color who have been appearing on in videos and they were not able to come to a agreement on rates and contracts uh, in their negotiations and so that they will no longer be doing video they will still be working for bon appetit in their other you know other capacities but they will not be appearing in videos and from the little bit i've read about it i can put a link in the show notes there's an article at the new york times about this um yeah it sounds like it was very um bon appetit shockingly all of their statements about diversity and how much these chefs contribute and bring to their brand and everything really stopped right when they got to the money part because it was like X number of guaranteed appearances a year, but it was like 10, whereas the other chefs have 60. And if they were in fewer than two minutes, they wouldn't get paid. But if they were in 
two minutes or two to a certain number, they would get paid um, a certain amount. I don't remember how much it was. Um, and what do you want to bet that they'd get edited to like a minute 58? And when you have like a 20 minute video, two minutes for a guest is actually pretty darn long. So, yes. uh, yeah, I am not surprised that they backed off and were like, if you're not going to pay me, I'm not going to do it. So uh, I look forward to hopefully them showing up on a different channel because I would like to follow their work. And we should note that in addition to the three of them leaving, Molly Baz announced that she is also uh, quitting the test kitchen stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So she will not appear in videos either in the signal of solidarity with the three of them. Oh, that's awesome. I hadn't heard that. So thank you. Yeah. She announced that on Instagram, I think today of she was like, nope, the three of them are out. I'm out too. Peace, y'all. So she won't appear in Test Kitchen videos anymore either. And my understanding is, is that she's one of the more popular folks on that channel. Mm-hmm. So, because I don't follow it, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be watching their videos. Yeah. No. There's other places I can watch stuff. And uh, I do, I will follow these chefs to other other places. But, like, the fact that the, the, the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen, like, digital crew does not see all three of these chefs, but especially Sola as essential to their workplace dynamic brand is very strange to me. Um, so pay them what they're worth. Yeah. Anyways, uh, good for them for standing up. And I'm glad that they're in a position where they're able to, you know, not take the scraps, you know, what they felt were scraps and what Bon Appetit feels were appropriate market value for, their those appearances um yeah there is in i don't really understand what it is means news big news over at warner media the only thing i know about it is some really big names are leaving uh yes fired leaving i don't know uh, no please please fill us in so uh, the news from Warner Media comes on the heels also of NBC Universal um doing something really similar um both megacorps have decided to start streamlining and slimming down basically mm-hmm. and what this means is that a lot of like high profile executives are out while single executives start overseeing larger and larger portions of these conglomerates media portfolios so the NBC universal one you can go to and look for but the hbo the Warner Media one is a much, I think, bigger deal overall. Um, the changes that are being made basically put HBO Max at the front and center of Warner Media's new corporate identity. Um, so what this means is is that um, Anne Sarnoff, who over, who's the CEO of Warner Brothers, is going to basically take over not only the film side, but base- the television side as well. So the big thing that this means is that Bob Greenblatt, who's been around for decades, and Kevin Riley, who's also been around for decades um, in broadcast television specifically, but also in cable, um, Riley in particular was really kind of instrumental in revamping TBS and TNT and did a lot of work on revitalizing true TV as well to like develop those as brands. They're both out. Um, and Anson off is going to head all of the, um, all of the content group, basically the studio and network uh, portfolio. Um, 
What this means isn't entirely clear. Um, in part, what it might mean is that Warner Media going forward is going to be less interested in its cable offerings, which is something that's in direct opposition to what Viacom CBS is doing with its cable pr- pr- packaging, which got announced a couple of weeks ago, where they're viewing their cable plat- cable channels as platforms for other content, basically. And there was a big thing in New York Magazine about them a few weeks ago, and we talked about it a little bit as well. So HBO Max is just going to be very front and center for Warner Media going forward, which, again, is hilarious when you think about the poor rollout that HBO Max ended up having with really low, com- lower than estimated subscription numbers by adding um, Hollywood Reporter reports 1.1 million HBO customers carried over and an additional 3 million retail customers in its first month, uh, which is not what they expected. Um, So this is a problem. And they also haven't been able to get themselves onto Roku or Amazon yet for HBO Max, which is a larger problem for their subscription numbers. So it's really... Curious to see how this is going to go looking forward. Um, and I don't know what it means. Nobody knows what it means. Um, but it is almost certainly going to be something in regards to cable becoming less important um, going forward for Warner Media. Um, it's, it's kind of wild. It is really kind of wild. Um, especially because Riley extended his contract um, in last May through 2022 and um, also like gained like additional like independence and oversight of the cable stuff that he was seeing. And now he's just totally gone um, from that, which to me, when something like Viacom is starting to rejigger what it's doing with cable, removing Riley from that equation, I think is a very big deal. Um, and he and Greenblatt in particular are noted for being really thoughtful executives, um, in terms of how they program and the talent that they develop and curate. So this is really kind of a big deal. And I'm going to be really curious as we all should be, I think, to see how this is going to play out. Um, Especially, again, since Anne Sardoff is going to oversee all of it. Warner Brothers Film, HBO, HBO Max, TNT, TBS, and True TV, all of that programming, all of that development is now overseen by one person. Um, And that's just mind-boggling to me. Um, There's one, there's, she'll have a direct report under her who's charged with original content at um, HBO Max as well as the cables, but it's just going to be kind of weird um, to watch that play out. Yeah, having um, all of that under you, I would never want that. I wouldn't want the stress that comes with being in charge of any business uh, like that at that kind of scale. I was about to say, you're you're in charge of your own business. I am in charge (laughs) of my personal business, but I... I work for myself and I occasionally subcontract a few people and that is it. So like the notion of being in charge of say HBO is a lot of pressure. The notion of being in charge of everything. No, I never would want to do that. So, um, you know, hopefully they can do it. (laughs) Yeah. 
I think it's legitimately going to be very, very interesting, um, especially since the ramifications of this probably aren't going to be clear for at least another like six to eight months. Um, once maybe in theory, the pandemic will maybe calm down um, mm-hmm. and production on film and television can resume um, up to that point. However, it's going, to, it's kind of hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but it's also compelling to watch both of these conglomerates warner media and um nbc universal start to slim themselves down in this way um and i think it there's a lot to chew on about what this means for the media landscape here in the united states but also in the world as well since both of these companies provide content and all over the world and people consume all of this um so i think it's just going to be really interesting to see what all of this means and the shifting landscape of what we think about media, particularly television specifically, um, is how that's going to change going forward. Um, so something to keep an eye on with NBC Universal Warner Media and now Viacom CBS um, and what they're doing with, um, especially with cable. Um, broadcast is in a weirder space, I think, for both all three of these companies. Um to say nothing of Fox um, right now. So I'll be really curious to see what happens. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. And yeah. then this week we're discussing an HBO Max show. But yeah. are we? Because it's not. Because it's a DC Universe show that's on HBO Max. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we will be talking about season two of Harley Quinn. Yeah. Uh, which was, of course, a DC Universe show that this week got uh, opened up to be available on HBO Max and listeners that... We heard about that and then went, hey, let's change our show and do Harley Quinn. Yep. In about 30 seconds, uh, yes. we were going to talk about a different interesting comedy uh, or short form show. Uh, instead, we'll do that another week uh, because we're big fans of Harley Quinn here at uh, Televerse. So more on that at the end of the segment. But yeah, like, especially when you have, you're changing platforms like that, like, where is this a show? Becomes a very different question um, in a... Uh, shifting corporate over like mega corporation ownership kind of sphere so yeah yeah, it'll be interesting which is something i feel like we should discuss when we're discussing harley quinn a little bit as well because i just i don't know what's happening with dc universe and i don't understand it yeah and i don't know if (laughs) harley quinn harley quinn is a uh dc universe show and i can totally see it as a a siffy show when it showed up on sci-fi uh, I don't know that it's an HBO Max show, and that has me a little worried for it, because um, I really like it. But we'll see. Maybe it is. HBO Max doesn't have a strong brand yet, besides, you know, the HBO of it all. So Right, which we'll isn't see. doesn't mean anything anymore. Doesn't like, mean Like, it much. means nothing anymore. Um, so, again, yeah, later. Later. <laughs> uh, now we're going to take a break, listen to a little music, and come back with our weekend TV. So we'll be right back after this.
This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with some reality. So first up, Sugar Rush is back for season three. Sugar Rush sort of. Extra Sweet. <laughs> um, then I'm going to talk briefly about Sugar High, which is a spinoff show that probably most okay. of you didn't know existed. Nope. Then uh, I will talk a little bit about Canada's Drag Race, which I caught up with this week. Before we go on to Jelly's Marble Runs, Marble League 2020, uh, Event 11 and 12, Black Hole Funnel, and 5 Meter Relay. Then we'll go over to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which had its its finale. I mean, it's season finale, but like the series finale for that. Walk into the light. Um, I'll have just a couple thoughts on Winona Earp, Friends in Low Places. And then we'll go over to Stargirl for the first part of their finale, Stars and S-T-R-I-P-E, Stripe, part one. And then Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Brand New Day. Of course, they have their two-part finale next week. So both of those shows... We'll be bidding adieu next week. Um, first up is Sugar Rush Extra Sweet, um, which is a, what, six? Ten? Ten episode. Uh, third I think it's season. six. Is it six? I watched it, like, in a day and a half. So I was like, it's probably six. Yeah, I don't think it's ten. And I was like, okay, you would have watched ten in a day and a half, too, so that doesn't help you. Um, I was very uh, happy to watch this between episodes uh, of depressing TV. Uh, how many of these have you watched and what did you think of their tweaks to the format for season three? So I have watched, um, I've watched two episodes mm-hmm. um, just because we were, wa- my partner had also been watching Columbo. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been prioritizing Columbo over like sugar rush. Um, yeah. Plus also we're doing, we're back doing Lucifer and streaming in place. And that takes, that's a show that my partner watches with me. So, like, we're having to rejigger our television watching. So, I only did two of this. Um, I don't know that I care for the tweaks here. Um, on Because the whole concept of the show rests on that time that you're able to bank going to the cake round. Well, and, and for listeners who don't know, what are the tweaks? Right. So the tweaks here basically involve, they have to incorporate something from a pantry element um, that is really specific to the theme of the episode. Um, So like there's one that's, um, hang on, let me look at the episodes. There's a junk junk food one that's very specific. Um, So you have to incorporate like cereal or licorice or whatever something from that that you just have to incorporate um around whatever theme confection that you have to do or cupcake that you have to do so on and so forth um and then so there's that element of it that's fine i don't really care about that it's okay um the larger like game changer type of element here is that the winners of round one and round two are given a choice they can either take home a guaranteed $1,500 US or they can bank an additional 15 minutes for the final cake round. Um, and I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, because the entire idea of the show is that you just have this limited amount of time to do stuff in the cake round in particular. You either have three hours or you have whatever you have left from the first two rounds. And... When you bank that much time, and this is what happened uh, when I watched um, the junk foodie one, um, which both spoilers, I apologize. Um, the same team won both rounds and they banked an extra 30 minutes of time. 
So fine. Okay, sure. Except for the fact that they had an additional like 17 minutes left over from the first two rounds, which meant that they had almost four hours to make what ended up being a very cool cake. Mm -hmm. But still, they had four hours. Um, And it just sucks a lot of the drama out of it for me Um, that they get that even 15 minutes, I feel like just adds too much space, really too much breathing room. Um, to the whole concept of the show. So I haven't liked this new, this rejigger. So I'm hoping that this is just a one-off type of deal and they'll go back into things um, with their season four or whatever they decide to do. I didn't really respond to it. Um, I just, yeah, it just kind of sucks a lot of the drama out of it for me and feels a little too much like a regular kind of cooking show. Um, How did you feel about it? Am I just being weird and like no. too much of a purist i don't think you're being too much <laughs> after of a purist. two years i'm a purist <laughs> um i will say though i think i i think it i i don't think it happens again that this season i could be wrong i could be forgetting one i don't think anybody any other episode has the same team win twice because like a 15 minute advantage it doesn't feel like that big of a difference, but a half hour yeah. advantage, that's totally different. Cause it's the huge. whole point of it is that you sacrifice in the earlier rounds so that you have the advantage in the later rounds. So if you don't have to sacrifice in the earlier rounds to get that advantage, you know what I mean? It totally changes the dynamics. Um, but what I do think is good. Um, and what, the element of it that I am actually very in favor of is the idea that it does actually matter who wins the yes, first two sure. rounds, because I mean, it seems like most of the time your best bet is to just get second place. So like, don't try to win the first round. Don't try to win the second round. Just try to do better than everybody else. And um, so just good enough. And that doesn't make for as compelling or interesting of TV. And usually, you know, the people who are competing are competitive enough and egotistical enough that they aren't satisfied with doing good enough. They want to do really, really well and show themselves well in their bakeries well and that makes sure that the level is where it should be but every now and again you get people who are just like ah throw something on a plate what really matters is the cake round i also like that if you win the first round and you get that extra 15 minutes uh you might get eliminated in the second round and never get to use it so there's some risk reward there but the notion that there is some sort of prize for winning each round i think is a good idea um and I, I don't know what else you would do or if just have it just straight up, you win, you win money. Yay. You know, that yeah. seems like it's very, yeah. it's a very friendly show. So that would be a thing that they could add that would be very much in the tone of the show. Um, and so they could say like, well, you got eliminated, but hey, you know, you still won that 1500 from the first round. Exactly. You know, so uh, and as for the extra ingredients, I think some of them work better than others. I do think the idea of, of like, we're season three, we got to make things a little harder because we're just everybody's really good you know let's make them use beans or you know that kind of you know or at least come up with some sort of roundabout explanation for how they're connecting to the theme Uh, i'm okay with that uh depending on the the levels of um uh, i guess uh creativity to what they put in the pantry i also do not doubt that they tell them what's like here's the category for the pantry and they go we want to have fruit loops you know, like they're like, pick a cereal, we'll put it in the pantry and you'll have to use it kind of. We don't know how that works. They definitely are not surprised by what's in the pantry when they first show up. That's not how these kinds of shows work. So um, that part I'm more okay with, but 
I also, I mean, I also like that they're willing to shake things up in season three and that, that they're thinking about what they want it to be. And because it also isn't really season three because they did the Christmas season too. There's been like international versions. So like an awareness that viewers may be getting tired of exactly the same thing every time I think is good, but don't break what's not broken. So yeah, that's sort of where I'm at with it. Yeah, and I see that's the thing is like I think just giving them money makes sense if they win, and yeah. that I think is enough incentive, especially when there's a chance that you don't get anything at all. Mm-hmm. I think that incentivizes the what you're talking about in this idea of well, there's nothing, there's no incentive to win the round, like you say, it's just skate by. So fifteen hundred dollars, I think, is enough maybe um, to say maybe try to win yeah um and i think that's that's enough for me the time element because the show's whole thing is the time element because you have to rush mm-hmm. um it feels lessened when you get like whatever the opposite of sugar is like a xanax basically <laughs> i don't yeah. know um to calm down a little bit and take your time um yeah yeah um, I do agree with you that they are trying to push the contestants a bit more, um, at least in the two episodes I saw with what they were what they were telling people to do, including like one of the other episodes I watched uh, wanted them to have a sort of like elevated illusion sort of deal, which neither team did a very good job. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they should have like sent them a, a thing so they could practice at home with how they work. Yeah, because one of them was like, oh, that's just embarrassing. That's yeah. that's that's nothing. That's not a thing. Yeah. That's not how that works. Um, and then the other one was just a surprise cake, which is where you cut into it and stuff spills out of it. And so the surprise cake, I think, is like more knowledgeable, even though the people who did the two teams that did it, one of them, they didn't want to be to use their own words, basic. Um, mm. But then also... That was never going to work, having cookies spill out of a cake. Like, that's not how those work. (laughs) Yeah. Great idea. Was never going to work. (laughs) Like, the the size of the cavity you would need and how tiny those cookies would have to be. Also, like, how dry the cake would have to be. So, And the cookies for that to work. It's like, you wouldn't want to eat. What are you doing? I don't like the cookie or the cake surprise thing, like, where the candy falls out. It just feels like, like, why, why, why are you wasting all this candy? You're not going to eat the candy. And like, it just, I'm, I'm not a fan. I get that it's pretty and everything. I get why people are wowed by it and everything, but like, I would only be interested in that in cupcake form where it's right. so, you know, like, cause no one wants that much candy in the size, the amount of candy you need for it to be impressive with a cake. Right. Um, so I get where they're, they're, they're not interested. They wanted to get creative. It's like, but you're, you're using, you're using peanut butter cups. They're gonna, you're, they're gonna melt and stay. You know how, you know how peanut butter works, right? And also chocolate. There's a reason everything is hard coated candies and usually balls so that they roll. Like, yeah. So, um, I'm still gonna like finish this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll enjoy it when I do, but I don't like, I'm just not keen on the quiz, twists. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we should note also um, for listeners who are unaware of that. Um, Naya Rivera is the guest judge on, I want to say the second episode of the yeah. season. Uh, it might be the first episode, one of the early episodes of the season. It's the second, I think. Yeah. It was really nice to see her pop up um, and she's very, you know, very charming. And she was, she's a very good guest judge. Um, personable, but with some really specific critiques. Um, but yeah, certainly that could could might be an emotional thing for c- certain people. Just so you know, um, headed into it. Yeah, wanted people to be aware. Um, yeah. So if you don't have anything else, tell me about Sugar High, which Netflix did not push on me at all. Yeah. So I have no idea what this is. So Sugar High is one episode of okay. a Sugar Rush spinoff, which tells me that they ordered a pilot and then went, nope. They're like, well, might as well like put it out. I mean, um, so it is a sh- sugar rush, but with candy and with with specifically with with sugar shaping. So like, okay, sugar sculptures and work basically working with sugar. Um, in now, uh, real quick, yeah, are they forced to work in a really warm tent while they are doing not this? Forced. Well, to work then, in what's a- the point of watching it? There is that. <laughs> Um, so this does not work and it does not work for a few reasons. First of all, there's only two rounds. So the whole conceit of the show doesn't really, like you need to have the three rounds so that you could potentially catch up enough time to make a difference or get behind the other group enough to make, you know, like, but they only have a candy round. So basically they have confection and then they have sculpture is the second one. And they don't eat the sculpture. They just look at the sculpture. So it's it's it, it's a very different medium than like balancing flavor and presentation. This is all presentation. The f- so the first one's presentation and some flavor, and the second one's only presentation. Also, with sugar work, like there's just no like three hours is not enough for the the things that they were asking them to do. Three hours? That's yeah, that's because they time. didn't change the times. So so like one team banked like forty five extra minutes, and one uh-huh. team banked like. 10 extra minutes and uh and then another team uh got just eliminated yeah there was three because it was four and then one got one lost and then the for the final three um there was like one team had 45 minutes one team had like half an hour extra and then the other team had like 10 minutes extra and they just ran there was no way they were possibly going to finish a three foot tall sugar sculpture in the amount of time they had and so it wasn't high enough you know, it wasn't, didn't meet, meet the height requirement. So they were eliminated. And then it was down to which of these two teams is going to get it. And the, um, it's just, there's, I think, first of all, there's a smaller pool of people who they could bring in for this versus just, I have a cake shop. I like to bake stuff. Um, cause it's such a specific skill and yes. it's, so that's a very different energy. One of the teams is like a, a, a dad and son who are both, uh, pastry chefs and, and sugar workers and one of them was uh, like partners at a, a business somewhere at a at a, a restaurant or you know somewhere they're in vegas they're vegas the vegas team and the and sure. the, the, the father and son team and what they were able to make is really creative and really beautiful and really impressive but it's like you can't be like it, you can get away with stuff, and sometimes they do on Sugar Rush, where we're like, we've got not nowhere near enough time for our idea, but we will make it work. That doesn't work with sugar. It just needs a certain amount of time to cool. You can't fake it <laughs> with that. So they needed to expand the amount of time that they would allow, um, or 
or just make sure that it, their task was achievable in the minimum amount of time that they had. Um, and not having a taste element really impacted things. Cause then when you, cause then it's just, as soon as you see it, you're like, well, they win, you know, there's not like a, well, they're both good in different ways, but if one of them is really delicious, that would tip it. You know, there isn't that element. So it really, um, yeah. When, when it's all down to the showstopper at the end, as opposed to being a, like, we're going to look at all three rounds together, like they do on Bake Off, um, or they've done on some of these other sugar work kind of shows. Um, it just, it it's not all that, you know, surprising when one team has a ridiculous centerpiece and one team has a amazing centerpiece and it's just, well, the ridiculous one's going to win and then it does. Um, so yeah, this just, just doesn't work. And I can like, I can see why they aren't pushing it on people because this came out July 31st. So this has been out for a week, which I know listeners, that's not very long. But considering I was watching Sugar Rush the morning it came out and I just happened to scroll down, it didn't recommend it for me. I just was trying to find, wait, what have I not caught up on Netflix? What shows are, am I in the middle on? And that's how I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're not pushing this on people. And yeah, they also have different judges. They have the same host but different judges. It isn't nice that because there's no gluten, uh, the host can actually eat the food. <laughs> oh, that p- poor Hunter. Yeah. Poor yeah. Hunter. He was so excited in season two when he got to eat food. On the gluten-free one, yeah. yeah. The, um, the the candies that they make were all incredible. They looked really amazing. So I think there's something here, but it can't just be sugar work based. There's got to, you know, like have a chocolate round, have a candy round and have a something else. Round. Like there's another way to do this, but just doing it with like sugar sculpture, I don't think is going to work for the, the parameters they've really committed to for this show. So that's yeah. what sugar high is. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pass. Yeah. So if you're really looking for another one, listeners, you can seek that out and you can let me know what you think. Um, next up, uh, I just get him check in briefly with Canada's drag race. Um, they've aired, I think five or six episodes in Canada. I think only three have aired in the U S so far. Cause they're airing on, I want to say logo like a week or two after it first airs in Canada. And you can also watch it on YouTube with the wow presents plus like a, a premium channel that they have there. Yeah. Um, so I've seen some of this and the it's, it's unusual cause RuPaul's not, uh, hosting and not judging. Okay. The, oh. the judges are uh, Brooklyn Heights and okay. Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. All right. And Stacy, something who is a model um, who I was not familiar with, but she's like an elder statesman, like famous Canadian model who uh, is, does a, does a very good job and is an interesting presence on the panel. So the Michelle of the group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know how strongly connected she is to the drag scene. Sure. at all but um but she certainly uh they, they for one of the challenges they had to present a collection and the queens have to, to model it and so she was giving them notes on their walks and so i was like yes yeah, she knows what she's doing definitely <laughs> very very good um so yeah so it's interesting because then they bring guests on not to be a guest judge but to be a guest host and the three judges uh like write on their cards who's going to be eliminated after the lip syncs. And then like they take turns like as host for the episode for like saying the different things on the panel. Okay. Um, so it's, it took a little, you know, a couple episodes to get used to, but I think it works well enough. They, they take turns um, introducing the challenges in the workroom, And it's not like a straight, like 
this person, that person, third. One, two, three. It doesn't rotate or anything. Um, so I'm guessing that they just they picked based on what the challenges were, who would be the person talking about it, you know, um, yeah. going into the workroom for it. So like they did a dance challenge and Brooklyn was the one who introduced it because, of course, you know, she's a ballet, a ballet dancer. Um, they did for a snatch game, Boyer Chapman, the actor was the one who went in. So, you know, for the modeling, right, it was Stacey. So um, I think that works pretty well. They, so far, they've done pretty good with their guest hosts. Alicia Cuthbert is the first one, and and she just crushed it. I was like, she's really great hosting it. They're they're lucky they got someone who's good because like if you didn't have a good enough host saying all of these iconic lines, right, it wouldn't work very well. And a lot of the people who come on to guest judge on Drag Race aren't that great, aren't <laughs> don't make an impression. So so far they've done a good job. Um, the queens are very talented. The queens are very good. Uh, the the thing that's really stood out to me is they have crushed their lip syncs. The song choices are terrific. They're all high energy. Um, they've, they've done Carly, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. They've done Celine Dion. They've done, they've done a bunch of, they've, they've done a bunch of uh, Avril Lavigne. They've done a bunch of um, Canadian artists, but just, I don't know if the budget's higher or the asks are lower, but the, the, all of the lip syncs have been very good and very close. Um, they have not done a Shantae You Both Stay yet, so we'll see if that happens. But uh, there's there's been a few where I was like, is this the week they pull it out? It seems kind of early, but I mean, how do you eliminate someone based on that? So that's been exciting for me. Uh, if if With the kind of unusual energy based on what I was expecting of the host and judge dynamic, if they hadn't really served it, I probably would have turned turned off. I also want to check out Dragos. Drag Race Thailand, which I hear is really good, but I haven't sought it out yet um, to see what they do, because I'm not sure how that show worked with it. But um, yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, and I will probably continue it out just because the viewing landscape is so thin right now. I wasn't planning to watch it. It's not like it, it's not canon for me because it's not hosted by RuPaul. Um, so so it's not like as, as far as like the Things I feel like I need to watch so that I can cover the show at the AV Club. I wasn't going to like hold myself to that, um, but I have enjoyed it. So, yeah, it's interesting. If, if anyone's watching, I am curious of your thoughts. So shoot in my way over on Twitter. Uh, next up, we have Jelly's Marble Runs, Marble League 2020, uh, the Black Hole Funnel and the 5 Meter Relay. And guys, go Rangers! It was a rough week for the Mentimaniacs. Yeah. Well, Dead last and second to last. Galactic did pretty good though. Shout out Marcus. Galactic, Galactic did well. I was very glad that fifth place. <laughs> it's still it's still better than sixteenth and fifteenth. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It was it was just a bad week for me, and I was very angry. <laughs> <laughs> I was yelling at my phone a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. So, what did you think about these events? What did you think about the black hole funnel? which is a big funnel race. Um, and then you also got treated to a relay. What did you think about both of these? I thought that they were super fun. I liked the different dynamic of just one giant funnel. The shape of it was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And having heats the way that they did, I thought was uh, was really neat. It, having multiples on each team, I think I thought as well was nice. So that was an interesting one for me. Um, not just because my arrangers are good at funnels, but um, because uh, cause it's just a slightly different way to do the same idea. 
and to space out the funnels because we like the funnels. So that way we got a funnel early on. This is a, the funnel one for the back half. As for the relay, uh, I'm, I wanted to kind of, I don't quite get how the energy is transferred uh, on that because mm-hmm. they don't just hit the other one, right? There's like a Lego right. stopper thing. Um, yes. But I thought that that one was fun too. I like, I mean, that one really changed things up part like a lot could change over the course of that one. So that was interesting. And um, yeah, again, I'm, I, I, I thought that having uh, like more team events that I'm, I'm more engaged with the team events than the, the individual ones. So I, I like the relay, just like I like the hurdles um, well, you know, the hurdles wasn't team. The the block pushing is what I'm thinking of. Yes. Uh, so th- that was neat, and I'm looking forward to what's coming next because there next is the uh, high jump, which I'm assuming will be similar to the long jump, where it yeah. seems interesting but doesn't actually deliver as well in entertainment value. But then there's also a a quathlon coming up. Uh, interesting, and I'm not sure how many that is because normally where the number would be, it says aqua. So um. I'm looking forward to it. What, what did you think about these two? So I liked the black hole, um, black hole funnel for the reasons you enumerated, but also for the just like the weird aesthetics of being able to see the marbles swirling in like the neck of the funnel mm-hmm. uh, before they drop out. Uh, created like a really neat like viewing effect. I thought so. I really liked everything that they sort of pulled together for that, and I agree with you that doing uh, two person teams and the funnel really ramps up uh, the competition in a way that mirrors um, one of the earlier competitions. Um, so I liked all of that. Um, the relay run was just deeply, deeply exciting. And I really enjoyed watching it. Like you said, it can change on a dime. Um, and yes, so the marbles collide with like little like push stoppers that then propel the next mat, uh, marble forward. Um, and I don't like know how much of a difference it makes in terms of like, what's the best way to strike it? How fast should you strike it? Like all of that kind of stuff. And how does that matter? Um, but watching it and then watching just like marbles kind of, again, have to hit that thing of you don't want to like bounce back and forth between the lane, the lane dividers and everything. So it was really, it was really exciting to watch that one. I think more so than even like the funnel one, um, because the funnel one, because of the size was over relatively quickly. Whereas the relay run while done quickly could, was way more exciting. Yeah. There's so, some photo finishes. There were so many photo finishes and it was just really also just really fun, especially within um, the narrative that gets sets up, especially with the O-Rangers and the Savage Speeders um, mm-hmm. throughout the course of the heats, was just really, really great. Um, the thing that I have an issue with and that I really need the Marble League officials to look into it is I think the O-Rangers are juicing. And something needs to be done about that. Um, and I say this both hey, as a pun. Just because we were amazing at the relay until the last one, when which we were good, but like... That world record was pretty amazing. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. A sub eight Um, second record. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really impressive. So I'm excited about both of the next events. Um, Well, I'm not excited about the high jump, but I am intrigued by this, um, whatchamacallit, by the Aqualothan? What did you call it? Aquathlon. Team Aquathlon. Okay. Yeah. Let's see if we can so get I don't know how many this. how many events there are. Apparently, it's new, is what I yeah. seem to have found. So 
I don't know how many underwater events there will be or water-based events. I don't know, but I'm certainly intrigued. Um, okay. And right now, for those not following, the arrangers are, are in first and then the Minty Maniacs have dropped to third, but still a recoverable range. Definitely. It's like 10 points between first and second, 10 points between second and third. So a lot can still change when the you know gold gets 25 points and there's still several events yet to come. So yeah. we will see what happens. Um, we also had the finale this week of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, Walk into the Light. And I'm curious what you thought of this. And, you know, we haven't checked in in a couple of episodes, how you feel like the show has handled the um, the episodes, these last two episodes that are, you know, set in their narrative after the, the death of Michelle McNamara. Um, I think I ended up like in still kind of a weird space with this show. Um, and I think it does better by it's the survivors of the Golden State Killer um than it does by uh mcnamara herself um it still feels vaguely exploitative in terms of mcnamara's personal story and um very sort of manipulative that i don't respond to or had had trouble responding to and i don't think the finale does anything to really change that for me um whereas i think everything with people coming forward to discuss their elation at them locating the Golden State Killer and identifying as well. Um, I thought it was really moving. Um, Especially just like, for me, one of the big takeaways was that moment at the end of a like get together among the survivors and that little discussion among the sole married couple that were attacked together and are still together to the point of this filming, and I imagine still right now, being the only couple that got through that and stayed together, yeah. basically. That, that got through their trauma together and emerged still together at the, uh, you know, where they're yes. at now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that just like that little punch, um, I thought hit harder than a lot of the other stuff in this episode for me. Um, So I ended up like not being like fully in love with the show um, for the largely for the McNamara stuff, but also it, some of the things I really liked about it at the start became writerly almost um so really specifically in this case i'm talking a lot about the creature from the black lagoon and a lot of the water stuff um which i thought was used to really great effect um at the beginning of the show and here ends up feeling aggressively tidy and um but also again like too maneuvered almost to kind of get to that point um so it didn't it didn't register for like the, I think the button or the clothes that I think they were looking for, where I just kind of went, yeah, that was cool when you did it before. And I get where you're still going for here, but I don't know that it, I don't know that I respond to it in the same way. So it's something that I think I was fresh more, ended up being more frustrated with by the end um, than I expected to be. Um, it's still, I think, good. And I think mostly, especially like the first half of it in particular, I think is really, really strong. The second half, I don't think works as well. Um, so yeah, that's where I ended up. I just, my feelings about this, I think are still a little 
sticky and I haven't been able to like fully parse them out uh, just yet. So I'm going to stop talking and I'd like <laughs> to hear what you thought about the finale and the show as a whole show as a whole. Yeah, for it worked better for me than it did for you, definitely. And uh, I was really impressed with the second to last episode as sort of an examination of grief and um, and loss. And uh, I thought that it kind of like pauses the narrative of the the search for the Golden State Killer to to sit with that a bit. Um, and whether that's what it should do, or like what whether that's focusing in too much on the you know on McNamara's story and losing the way way a little bit especially because obviously she did incredible work to bring attention to the case keep it keep people looking into it and that is what led to you know the um eventual capture and identification and prosecution and conviction of um the golden state killer uh she was not directly involved. It's not like her research specifically, you know, so there's not like a one for one connection. It's more right. about like the, the, you know, she is almost at a certain point, um, like a stand in for these other people who are doing similar work, just hers was perhaps the most intensive. I don't know, but certainly one of the more high profile people doing that work um, along the way. So I, I appreciated that they took some time to just to really interact with her family, um, with her, you know, her widower. And, um, and I, I thought that for me, there was, there was an appropriate weight to, I just didn't, I just trusted she had it covered. I didn't think about it. I wasn't worried about it. And like, it's, it's unsaid, but I think there's some, and I clearly should have been in yeah. there. Um, so, so yeah, I, I like that they connected it to this larger thread um, in opioid abuse and deaths throughout the country, which has been obviously such a um, significant part of uh, drug-related deaths um, in the country in the past, I don't you know, I wouldn't, couldn't tell you how many years, but it's been a real problem for a long time. Uh, so, so I thought that there was some good care with that, but I can understand absolutely still feeling a little like, you know, like you said, sticky, I think is a good way to put it a little uncertain about in general, how all of that was handled. Uh, I liked that the, the, I thought it was, I mean, can't imagine getting the, the people that they got access to who agreed to do the show in the finale who are connected to the golden state killer. So they have like right. what the, family the members, family members and um, the, the ex, girlfriend or fiance yeah. yeah like they that like if you don't have those people participating i think you have a completely different show um for the you know just in general and so having them really i think thought gave a lot more power to the finale and having them talk about their experiences and putting together a few of the puzzle pieces of the timeline well without ever trying to like do a one-for-one one explanation of what happened when and why, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, it really left with that, you know, that sense of the, this is not going to go away. These, these questions will be with all of these people forever. And I thought that that was significant. I, I also agree though, that the, the, I think the biggest strength of the whole thing is the way that it handles the interviews and the, the the personalities and the experiences of the survivors um was i mean i feel like this should be a template for a lot of these 
documentaries moving forward, focusing very much on them and, you know, their experiences and what they're doing. Not a lot of, uh, we don't need to see the reenactments. We don't need to linger in pain and trauma. We can have them tell their stories. Don't sugarcoat what happened, but this show, this series didn't linger in their pain in the same way. And it didn't, it wasn't particularly gratuitous. I didn't think. Um, so I, I appreciated that, that element of it. And, um, yeah, I'm, I, this seems to have connected with some people really strongly, and I think that's great. Um, and, you know, hopefully, I mean, there, there are other documentary series in, in this true crime vein that I think are at the same level um, that are interesting. So hopefully people will go seek out, you know, other similar stories. But I do think as a whole, I was glad to have watched it. I thought they did a good job. Yeah, and I think it's still like kind of compelling television um Mm -hmm. i just don't know that it's great television so Mm -hmm. okay fair enough but Um, true crime is not my genre either so yeah (laughs) i need to acknowledge that i really liked the the bits they had with karen kilgariff um around who hosts the my favorite murder podcast Mm -hmm. um and having her talk about that just a bit uh the shot the shots of the the true crime convention where you look across the the audience and it's almost exclusively white women. Yes. I thought it was really interesting and they engaged with some of that, but they did not get into other parts of it. Um, yeah. That I think that would be a really fascinating. That's a whole other like documentary. Documentary yeah. that I would love to see. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, over in genre, we've got Winona Earp, which has friends in low places. I like what they're setting up so far uh, in, in this season. Obviously, I got to mention the the sex scene at the end of the episode. Having just like a here are two women who love women who are who are having this moment together. And it's filmed by women and it's like queer actors <laughs> Queer writers, showrunners, directors, all of this. This is, we're going to show women having sex with each other and not what some people think that women who have sex with each other look like when they have sex with each other. So I, yeah, it's, it's one that I'm glad I'm not watching the show with my parents, <laughs> but hey, you know what? Sexy times for all eyes. I think that's great. And it's nice to have, you know, it's like, we're not, just, it's it's nice to have some um, thoughtful sex scenes uh, for queer characters actually centered on what apparently from Twitter and people's responses is a much more accurate representation of 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 a uh, of queer of a uh, women who love women sex scene um, than we usually get. So shout out to that. Uh, I think that's great. The some of the choices are interesting. Uh, jumping in the timeline is smart and a good call. I'm curious what that's going to mean. Um, I, I am very entertained by the, uh, what appears to be the villain of the season, especially um, in relation to where we're at in our Lucifer watching, which is all I'll say for that. Cause you don't know what I'm talking about. So thumbs up. Um, the uh, there's, yeah, there's, so, there's some interesting things. Ahead, I liked all of the Winona and Hot like team up action. That was fun. Uh, there's no way Hot should have survived that fall, but we're not going to worry about it. And um, what else? Yeah, it's fun. I, I had fun, so we'll see what comes next. Uh, Star Girl 
had its first part of their two-part finale, Stars and Stripe Part 1. What did you think? Um, I mean, this is like a real heavy table-setting sort of episode um, for the finale. So I think there's good stuff in terms of, like... Where have they been keeping this really lush, cool cabin all this time? Like, go there. Um, but I think like the big, um, the big twist is the Injustice Society is actually a bunch of social justice warriors, <laughs> um, but also are willing to kill twenty five million people, <laughs> yeah, um, to get universal health care and do all these other things that are heavy talk points for like a, a um, left-leaning liberal agenda. Um, so the whole, are we sure we should stop them? <laughs> are we sure we're on the right side here? Yeah. Or we're going to kill 25% of the people. Okay. Yeah. No, we're on the right side here, but they got some good yes. ideas. <laughs> yes. No, these are all very good. Wait, I'm confused. So I think it's like a little bit of a twist, um, but I don't know that it's enough to like, it's a good enough concept to like do something slightly different for like villains take over or something or try to do take over something. Um, so I think generally it provides like a little bit of like a fun little, fun little change on that formula, but not enough of one that you go, oh, well, we should just let them do it. <laughs> yeah. So you still end up with this thing and it's not as complicated a feeling basically for an audience because of that threshold. Um, so it's like, oh yeah, cool. Oh yeah, no. So it's, again, it's fun, but it just doesn't register as anything particularly potent, I think. Um, everything else is generally pretty solid. I think I really like the, um, the decision to be like, oh no, he's already done it. Um, it's just going to take 30 minutes to really lock in. Um, and it's just like, it's not 30 minutes till we start guys. We're not counting based on when we start. We're counting based on when we take over. I mean, yes, obviously. Yeah. So I really, I really enjoyed that. And it provides hopefully like a really good, um, like run to the finale type of thing within next week's episode that I'm really looking forward to. Um, I'm glad Mike's, in on everything yes know? mike and his drill um like also but buddy don't go for the back go for behind the kneecap like just take him down yeah um, well he's new yeah he's new but also no one else would do that that would only be my thought of like i've got a drill just go for the kneecap um because then like Sportsmaster is not getting up. He's out for the finale. <laughs> yeah, he's out for the finale. You take out you take out that all that stuff behind the kneecap, he's out. Um so I think, yeah, I'm glad Mike's in. I'm glad he's also still kind of disgruntled about everything. Um like I get to sit here with the dog. Um, but also, Mike, you don't have any powers or anything until you pick up that pink pen, which is where I feel like we're going with that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like season two, that's what happens. That's, that's my theory. Um, so everything else I'm excited. Um, the only other thing that I have that's worth mentioning, I think is Brainwave with Cindy was just great, which is really, really great. And I cannot wait for that character to get out of that room. And I don't know who she's going to fuck up more. And I really want to find out who it is. Um, cause just a big wild card at this point. <laughs> How did you feel about this episode? The, when you talk about the twist about this finale, I thought that you were going to be 
mentioning my favorite part of it, which is that their brainwave stuff only works on like adult brains, basically, yeah. which I thought was a really smart way to go. Very straightforward. I hadn't thought of it. I should have, and I didn't. Um, but it's a very good answer for why we need our heroes, the teenagers, to save the day. Um, I thought that they handled the, again, Amy Smart's terrific. They handled everything with mom and uh, Barbara and and just like watching, you know, having her having her, my daughter is a superhero and I'm going to let her keep doing this moment um, in a way that was you know, effective. I like that the staff is on board with Let's Help Mom <laughs> very much. So that was good. Um, yeah. And I also really like the stuff with Mike. And I mean, I'm sure that they will have a way to get to like, to get Stripesy or Stripe, the machine robot, so that's not too big of a contributing factor um, pretty quickly in the, the next episode. I'm sure that we'll be, you know, right into the hijinks of our like of the our... key fob right has to come yeah. into play yeah right something like that's that. my yeah. feeling yeah yeah um but i think it was a good cliffhanger to end on and you know nothing like a ticking clock so yeah i'm excited for the finale i think it's a lot of fun i liked that you know i'm, I'm actually think about it. i'm worried about i'm more about mike maybe that pen's gonna come into play because justin is still at the cabin yeah so we'll see what happens if they brought the pen with them, and I don't think that they did, but yeah, but know. who knows? I mean, yeah. we didn't we didn't see him pack. Maybe yeah. it was just in his school bag, because you know, why not? I don't know. Why not? We'll see. We'll see. Um, our last episode is Agents of Shield, brand new day. So this is our setup episode for uh, the the two part finale. And I have an important question for you, yes. Noel, which is, what are your intentions with Shield? <laughs> that whole conversation. It's so weird and I love it. Um, it's such a weird, like, insert into this episode. Um, especially when, like, you, uh, Daniel acknowledges that we should be saving oxygen. And then it just becomes this very wild conversation about we're all very protective of Daisy, but also she can be a little much. And when she gets fixated on something, she gets fixated on something. Also, her codename is Quake, and we're just going to laugh about that for a solid 45 seconds. And it's so wild, and I love it that the show just took kind of time for that. And so I I liked that a lot. Um, it was arguably sort of like my favorite part of the episode, apart from all the stuff in Gemma's brain, um, which I was really delighted by how just thwarted everything in that was for um, Malik. Um, like, where am I? This is not, where am I? <laughs> Why is there not a house here when there should be a house here? <laughs> I am, I do not have the temperament to deal with this. Um, so yeah, all of that's good. Um, I think that the episode on a whole, um, on a whole, like there's a lot of things I like in it, but, but on a whole, I think it's just kind of fine because also a lot of it rests on dealing with Korra, who I do not care about and who's significantly overpowered. Um, that creates just too many problems for me in terms of like narratively, what are we doing here? And narratively also, but I don't care about this heel face maybe term that's happening right now because I don't know this character. I don't care about this character. And you can't make me show. You have literally three episodes in which to do this. And I don't care. Um, and it, you, 
expecting me to care because she's related to Daisy isn't going to do it. Um, so it's, it's, it's doubly frustrating in part because one of the things that I've been struggling with a little bit in this last little run, especially since we've recentered on the Inhumans, is that a lot of the show's sense of whimsy and fun has been sucked out of it. Um, that had, that was running throughout this entire season up until we went back to the Inhumans. And now it's kind of just fallen into standard shield stuff. Um, but I think the, I think the whimsy went away as soon as Mac's parents were killed. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like that was like the run up for that because like Mac's parents getting killed. Um, and then we have everything with the eighties and the, uh, chopping mall, but that leads directly into going back to afterlife. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just, it goes into that good shield mode, that good dark shield mode, but it just, it's less interesting than shield being weird. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what it was doing for so much of this season. And I think that that's been a kind of a loss. Um, so my question for you is, how did you feel about finally getting to see Vitz? Um, it was good. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming the blood work is that she's pregnant uh, in, the, in the flash thingy and that she, they already had the kid. Mm-hmm. And that, that the crying was not about Fitz, but it was about her daughter. Yeah. Is in the daughters in the future. That's what I'm assuming. That makes sense. We'll see. Um, Cause that's the, like, what could it possibly be besides Fitz is dead? That's a thing that would prompt that response. And it yes. was because everybody, and especially because the show lampshaded the Fitz is dead thing. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that's where we're headed. Uh, we'll see. I thought those scenes worked really well. If you only have Ian DeCascar for, you know, a, a couple days, this is a good way to go around it. Plus, we got more Enoch, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I thought that stuff was was really uh, effective, and I thought it really worked. Uh, <laughs> I liked all the stuff with Sousa and Daisy, uh, except I thought it was so stupid and didn't make any sense that they were, like, giggling about Quake as a silly name. Quake is not a silly name in the world that they're in. Like, in their experiences. No. Quake is, like, what? why are you laughing about it? So, Quake, she, like, shakes things. Why is that weird? That's not weird. This didn't. And you could, I just see the actors trying so hard to sell it. And I was like, you're laughing too, you're hunching too much in that laugh. It's a forced laugh. I don't believe it for a second. Um, but I liked the legends vibe of, yeah, we should conserve oxygen, but screw it. We're probably going to die anyways. <laughs> Let's just have fun. I thought, I, yeah, I enjoyed that, that energy too, to those scenes. Um, I also really loved, because I don't care about Cora like you, I loved the, the you know, the badass hero line they gave Daisy of, I do have a sister to save, Gemma. Very yes, effective. Yes, really good. Good moment. Very good. Uh, I think this season's also, these last few episodes are, are suffering because Sybil doesn't have a body. And, yes. Uh, it would be better if there was a physical, if we had that performance to help that as well as just the vocal performance. So that's where I'm at with everything else. But I want to know what you thought about Fitz. I liked it. Um, I agree that if you're only going to have him for a couple of days, this is a really good way to use him. Um, I am. It does remind me just how much of a weird centrality Fitz ended up adopting um, across the show and particularly in the back half um, of the show's run, um, really starting in the, the first season where they started doing pods. Um, seasonal pods um, and how central fits became to the narrative um, and to have him not be here um, 
really kind of highlights that in a in a way that they've done a really good job of acknowledging and addressing. But also you just go, oh, the, this character and specifically Fitz and Simmons became so aggressively central to this show and kind of like a heart to the show in any number of ways that having one half that pair there does affect it. And it's been really interesting watching the show both acknowledge that and play with that. And then to have that those scenes and you just go, oh, yeah, I really miss Fitz. Which is not something I would have said like in two seasons of watching this show. Um, but now I'm just like, oh, right. He became like a weird audience surrogate, really, um, as the show shifted gears and got away from the got away from being tethered to the film franchises. Um, even more so arguably than um, Daisy did and Colson especially, I think. So I was yeah, I really I really liked having him back, um, even if just for this little brief moment. Yeah. I know for a lot of people his absence has been a real sticking point for the season. I have not missed him at all. Yeah. But I think it's good that he's I think that the other roles and specifically what they've been doing with, with Gemma has done a lot to paper over that and to to make the show like I think the show works without him here, but it is I think it's better when he's there. So yes. I haven't, I haven't missed him. I have like, I still really like all pretty much everything we've gotten this season and the, the standout episodes for me would not necessarily have been enhanced. Yes. Fits. I think they've done a good job with it, but certainly having him back was really, was really nice. Yeah. And I think a lot of that just boils down to the fact that the show has the show's relationship with Fitz and Simmons as constantly tearing them apart. <laughs> Um, exasperates, exasperates, exacerbates. Yes. Um, how people are feeling about it. Um, and I think that's super duper fair because the show just revels in destroying Fitz and Simmons. That's how we know that they're going to be together at the end because they would not be playing up the trauma so hard. Uh, like if they weren't going to give them a happy ending. So like, if, if I'm sure of anything in shield is that somehow Fitz and Simmons get a happy ending somehow. Um, the one thing that we haven't discussed is, is this the new timeline? <laughs> yeah, no, because they're going to change stuff. I, right. I, it could be, but I don't anticipate that. I think they're going to, I think they're going to reset everything at the end of the season right. is my guess. What do you think? I imagine that they will too. But my favorite thing about this whole concept of it's a new timeline is that no one mentions once how sad they are that Nick Fury's dead. So I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. works. I'll take it. <laughs> Yep. Um, well, what wins your week in TV? Um, so of what we watched, um, probably Stargirl, but my real answer is Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, same. But um, yeah, and with an honorable mention to the all the early Drag Race I was watching, uh, season two and season three was super fun this week. But uh yeah, I'll, I'll say Stargirl of, of, of these. Yeah. Um, now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back with our discussion about season two of Harley Quinn. What's next? I thought we were going to chill out and have fun after we took the Injustice League out. As I become the world's feared super villain. Feast your eyes on you, New Gotham. Mm. Not interested. <laughs> Where did this map come from? I'm still on our goddamn folding chair. Oh, no, no. Oh my god, it's Beyonce! Is this what it 
it feels like to be Batman. Because I feel like a superhero right now. You really know how to just kill the post-fight mood. That was a trailer for season two of Harley Quinn, which is now available streaming on HBO Max. It was previously available on DC Universe. Um, and we were really big fans of season one. They were setting up an intriguing season two with that finale. And finally, uh, the the programming uh, gods decided to put this somewhere where we could watch it without, you know, subscribing to a new service. So, of course, listeners, we had to dive right in with Harley Quinn as soon as we had the opportunity. What did you think of season two, a.k.a. Harles and Ivy forever? I very much enjoyed this season. Um, I particularly like the the season's kind of split between a first half and a second half of this drive of Harley to kind of take over Gotham in yet another attempt to prove her, uh, prove that she's a super villain. And then the wild escalation that that involves, which can only result in a, in dark side and apocalypse showing up. And it's just so many parademons, too many parademons, Kate. Um, one parademon is too many parademons, but just that whole deal of what's what's the only way that this can go? Yeah, they they boom tube, and it's just mm-hmm. it's very good. So I I really liked this season a great deal, um, and I liked a lot of the character stuff. I liked a lot of like the low key fun, um, like wild self referential humor just. Everything at the start of episode five, Kate, mm-hmm. with Batman's Batman's Batman mm-hmm. that released the Snyder Cut fanboy. Just I loved all of it. It was very good. Um, so I think there's good stuff here, um, but mainly I did not know that I needed Rachel Dratch voicing. Nor freeze so much in my life. <laughs> um, I didn't know I needed that. Um, so yeah, I, in general, I thought this was a really good season, and I really liked more than anything the development of the relationship between Harley and Ivy and how that developed throughout this season. And to just to end on a really long drive to get to a Thelma and Louise joke, mm-hmm. just priceless. Just priceless. Uh, not a full Thumb on Louise listeners, mm-hmm. but pretty close. Yeah. Um, hey, there's going to be a, we think there's going to be a season three. Note, I am saying think. I am not limitlessing this. Um, no, no, no. It has not been renewed for a season three. Um, no. But it, I, it, it just, it needs to be. Yeah. Um, I anticipate it will be because it's been so very well received. Yes. Um, critically as well as popularly. So, um but, but the point is, they are not going to do any... They're not going to full thumb on Louise because they want to bring these characters back. They want the option Correct. to bring these characters back. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel about uh, this season? Because we like just talked about this show like mm-hmm. two months ago, I think. Um, season one, after it dropped onto... Um, whatchamacallit? Sci-Fi. Onto Sci-Fi's video on demand service. And then 
it finished airing on DC Universe on June 26th and then premiered both seasons ended up on HBO Max on August 1. So how did you feel about this season? Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was terrific. Uh, the same energy and fun as the first season, but with more um, with more character stuff for Harley and building up her relationship with Ivy, which is, you know, one of the the most prominent, I would say, queer relationships in the the main staple of Batman villains. You know, and there might be other ones that I am not aware of, but I know that their at least friendship, like them being yes. really tight, is a is a significant part of that. So so really taking a full se- taking a full season to to let Har- uh, Harley get um a better grapple on her self and her relationship with Joker and then taking another full season to get where we end up with Harley and Ivy, I think is terrific. It works really well. I like that they didn't shortchange Kite Man. I like that they didn't um, uh, give easy or um, dishonest, I guess, kind of answers to how Harley and Ivy uh, were processing their potential shift in their relationship. I liked um, just the approach for everything uh, with those two this season was was really uh well done really well done and uh at the same time i i like that they don't i like that they're they don't waste time with labels or or awkward like coming out or, or conversations about that stuff it's just focused on i love you and we yeah. go from there um which i think is is a, a good call and hopefully an approach more shows will take um with when they have characters that they want to have enter into queer relationships when the audience has not previously seen them be in queer relationships. So it's very possible that they have, and we just haven't seen it. We haven't seen much of either of their romantic backstories aside from Joker. Um, So yeah, I I thought that they, all of that was handled really well. And then when you throw in just how ridiculous and fun the rest of the, like I, they're not really arcs, but the, the, the bits of things they give the other characters to play with, like the, the ridiculousness of the world, the fact that they do like, half with all these villains and then they don't hold that out the whole season. They go for something else and the, you know, the back half I think is really smart. They're just like, perhaps my favorite part of this show, my actual favorite part of the show listeners, let me be very clear is Harley and Ivy, but my next favorite part of the show is just everything with Clayface Cause it's so good and it's so funny and I love it. And then my next favorite part of everything is just the performance by, uh, by, by Tony Hale as Dr. Psycho, but also Doc- King shark and his like family stuff. Like it's all so good. I really like all of it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like don't know where to like start because the season is wildly stuffed with plot and character development. But at the same time, there's 13 episodes and you just kind of go, "Wait, how did you cram all of this? How did you just how did that dis- how do you just make a compelling case for Dr. Psycho being a member of the gang and then him just falling back into exactly what he should be doing mm-hmm. in this whole, like going back to almost like roots for that character within the confines of this show of being like, no, that's who he's always been. And everything else has just been him finding himself or like repressing himself. Or I, I don't know. Like I really like how everything builds in this season 
even if some of it makes me uncomfortable, and I'm very specifically talking about a shredded Riddler, which I do not <laughs> care for. It's very uncomfortable, and I don't like it. I don't like oh, it, Kate. Calves. It's very good. But I also, like, at the same time, the metatextual level of having the Riddler take over a university and proclaim himself Dean, and he's voiced by Jim Rash, and I was just like, yeah. yes. Just, just yes. Please <laughs> and thank you. Um... No, I totally agree. Everything with, like, Clayface is really, really solid. His whole... How long have you been infiltrating the university? <laughs> um, but also everything that they give King Shark to do with his family a little bit. I could have done without the Little Mermaid song. Because mm-hmm. um, it wasn't funny. Um, it was weirdly, I think, the only thing that I actively disliked in this season was that little bit there. Because um, it was just such a weird detour for a show that does weird very well this was not the card like weird for me um and yeah all of that i think just works very well um so much so that even like one of the things that i was really kind of interested in and i want your take on this is before i give my own actually is how did you feel about gordon being as front and center as he was in this season loved i mean terrific voice stuff from Maloney, just like ridiculous. But how did you feel about him being so front and center of the season? I think it's, I really liked it uh, because Maloney is always very funny. And just the, the meta element of that as well is just delightful to me. I also really liked it as like a, cause he's basically standing in the Batman role. Uh, but you know, alcoholic and total failure and trying to like, so, so it's, it's doing the, these are the air quotes, good guys, um, but at an extreme of all the flaws and like the, like just randomly shooting people. So it's like, it it's this funhouse mirror version of what our usual protagonists are in these stories. And so I, I, I really liked how prominent it was. And it's like, this is not the way viewers, in case you weren't sure, we're going to say this is not the way. Harley will get, yes, she's killing people now, but, you know, she has had a really difficult moment in her, you know, relationship journey with Ivy. She'll get there. She'll stop killing people and, like, promising to take over the Earth. Because um, this is not the answer. So, like, let's stay with Team Harley. I, I, For me, it really worked. What did you think? Initially, like, my partner and I were both like, why are we spending so much time with this guy? Like, I don't get it. And then it was like, oh, Barbara is going to become more central to the narrative. And then she sort of does and then fades out again, which I think is appropriate. Um, I'm glad that they used that outfit because I love that outfit for uh, Batgirl. Um, But then he comes back in and I really like this whole sort of very subtle discussion. And it's not even that subtle of radicalization of this exact type of man, basically of like, well, you're just He's just looking for a reason to do, like you say, the Batman thing, except in a very different way. And watching Two-Face kind of manipulate him into doing that is just really wild, especially when you factor in the flashbacks that we get with Harley's um, first meetings with the Joker at Arkham and how just absolutely awful, awful Harvey and Gordon are in those flashbacks. <laughs> Um, that 
everything ended up building really well and i felt bad for being like why are we doing this with gordon and then just going oh this is why we're doing it we're doing a really solid counterpoint to a lot of other stuff here oh okay show i need to stop doubting (laughs) was where i ended up with it and then like in hindsight and everything it worked very well for me so i was really happy to be like be wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just like the way that they go through that is you know with with him is is delightful i didn't realize that that andy daly uh was voicing uh, so good face yeah just so good (laughs) so very very good i also didn't know that uh bad girl is voiced by brianna cuoco so uh yes hayley cuoco's um younger younger sister kayla cuoco's younger sister who is a singer and performer on her own right um she was on like i want to say she's like the voice or something a while back i don't know but anyways uh, and so that's a fun little element of like following your footsteps kind of you know fun there mm-hmm. too but um but no when they like when they start to get more explicit with what they're doing there like you mentioned that flashback episode it's it's very good and then the 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 finale and everything it's 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 very good i really appreciated it the thing actually if i could cut anything out of the season what didn't work for me were the asides of like let's like call out the fanboys um see i really liked that but yeah because for me it's like yeah we get it we're already watching harley quinn so therefore we're already on board with this so this just feels like low-hanging like why are we spending time on this because let's just have jb smooth do something else (laughs) because he is hilarious and delightful um but like you know creating this caricature or or in some t- 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 in sometimes like some cases exactly true to life replica of yes. of the bad fans we don't like that we want to mock as like yeah it just feels like not the like the least interesting thing you could be doing i'm glad it seems like so it sounds like it works a lot better for you i'm glad that it works for you yeah, no, it worked fine for me. But yeah, that was, a, I was more okay with the musical number and less interested. That was like, I wasn't going to fast forward through something, but if I had to pick something to fast forward through, that's what it would have been. Um, we we haven't talked about Batman. What did you think of our Batman and Alfred episode? I mean, as as we discussed last time, like having um, Diedrich um, Bader voice Batman, reprising the role from Batman Brave and the Bold stole is really good but the decision to really up that batman's funny and that alfred's just not here for any of this nonsense is one of the best choices they made in addition to like i was very disappointed that we did not get more robin showing up <laughs> um dressed Chandler. as Batman. <laughs> in in his in his daddy's bat clothes <laughs> um but it's just, it was a very silly and ridiculous sort of thing. And I really loved, again, just how not here for it Alfred is for all of this. It's just been like, yeah, no, I'm not, I just, I yes, I took you in. I raised you as if you were my son and I care about you and I want you to be healthy. So no, you're not going out to fight crime. And that is definitely a ro- robot bat suit mm-hmm. that Lucius Fox has made for you. Um, but also like Lucius and Lucius and, um, uh, Alfred both kind of giving each other like knowing looks is also just chef's kiss perfect because you know the two of them get together for brunch and just complain about Bruce constantly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really liked our time with uh, with Catwoman. All, all of the girls trip Cobb squad stuff 
on paper, this is not my my jam, but the execution was so good. <laughs> I just I adore this idea that they um that they just went oh yeah let's have Lex Luthor try to take over the mascara as a resort destination, and then we have Ares voiced by Jamal um, Jamal Jamil, um, by the way, um, doing really good work as Ares. Um, Irius, Iris, um, was just chef's oh, Aris, kiss kind yeah. of, Eris, yeah, just, just kind of chef's kiss perfect. Um, so that entire thing I thought was really, really delightful because I just went, wait, why is the Mascara resort destination now? And the answer to that question I thought was just really delightful. Um, so I was very, very happy about that. Do we have any thoughts about, uh, the return of Joker and his girlfriend, Bethany, voiced by Justina Machado. It just made me so happy that Justina Machado was here. <laughs> yeah, I was not excited about the Joker returning, even no. a little bit. Yes. Until they did yes. that. Yeah, no, totally the same. Very hard same of like, that whole realization of, wait, I kind of like Bethany. And not in like a psychotic sort of way, but in a... I like Bethany sort of way that I just found really interesting. And to have Justina Machado voice her, I thought just really elevated that whole plot as well, because she elevates anything she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, showing like how relationships develop and how people change, or in some cases don't change. Like again, Dr. Psycho and Gordon being like the two prime examples of that. Um that they just find really good ways to do all this character-driven stuff against this madcap macabre um, violence of just people's spinal cords being ripped out with their skulls. Um, And finding ways to balance all of that, I think, just speaks to how really finely tuned this show has been. Um, The the IMDb page for this is a gift that keeps on giving because I also did not realize that Granny Goodness was voiced by Jessica Walter. For all of like three lines, but yes. Yeah, Yeah. Rhea Perlman is Golda from last season. Uh, Yeah, there's just, there's just, it's just very good. Well, my, my, my big two like voice takeaways here were one, Alfred Molina as Mr. Freeze is something I didn't know I needed, but absolutely Mm -hmm. yes. But absolutely the fact that they brought back Michael Ironside who voiced Darkseid in the Superman animated series and in the Justice League um, animated series to still do Darkseid was so good because it's a kind of a funny dark side. It is a Not, funny dark side, yeah. It, but in like in a way that parodies dark side without actively parroting him. So like the halting speech stuff that everyone keeps thinking he's done, but that's how dark side talks. <laughs> and just that weird little twist on it makes dark side deeply hilarious. Yeah. And I really, really like that they bought back Michael Ironside to do that because his. Him and Andre Brower are basically the only two people who should voice Darkseid, in my opinion, because Andre Brower's done it once and he did he just killed it as you would expect, because it's Andre Brower. Um but again, having Ironside come back and do that it was just really beautiful and really, really funny, and I really enjoyed that. Almost as much as I enjoy James Walk voicing Superman, <laughs> which is just so funny. It's just so funny. Um 
Is there, are we missing? I feel like we're just missing so much. We're missing too much. We can't cover it all. Um, yeah. I will say I need to at least shout out the pit and George Lopez doing his, you know, type the five pit. at the pit. Oh, Bane continues to be the best character on this show. Low key MVP. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. Very, very good. Did you have any other moments or, or episodes you wanted to shout out? Um, let's see here. Um, just i don't know all of it's so good kate yeah, um it's very good yeah i just yeah yeah i don't have anything else just because it's all really really solid solid contender for your top 20 at the end of the year i think so just because so much of it also aired this year like a chunk of season one aired in um what you call it in 2019 so it's not eligible um but the i mean only the first five episodes yeah only the first five episodes yeah aired in 2019 so yeah so i get to like count those but yeah i think it's a i think it's pretty much a lock for a top 20 in part because of how like kind of threadbare this uh year is going to be but also that it's probably some of the best television i've watched this year as well it's really delightful um and to kind of circle back to what we alluded to at the end of the show at the beginning of the show is it's wild to me that dc universe has not been folded into hbo max um like completely and i know that there are probably a number of reasons why um it has not been folded in probably a lot of it has to do with like uh rights deals and windowing and that kind of a thing um but given the fact that they share collections of movies between HBO Max and DC Universe. Um, Doom Patrol got shifted over to HBO Max with season two. And now Harley Quinn is on available to stream on HBO Max while it, having initially premiered on DC Universe. Um, and then you pile on Stargirl. Going to CW. Going to CW and being on CW exclusively for season two, even though Stargirl aired on Mondays on DC Universe, but then aired the next day on the CW, which is how literally anyone else who watched it watched it. Um, It doesn't make sense to me that they haven't folded Universe into, um, whatchamacallit, into Max as like a vertical, because they already have a DC vertical on Max. So it doesn't make sense to me that they just aren't going to do that. Um, Because then... Kate, we could watch Young Justice Outsiders <laughs> finally and discuss it. We would probably not watch Titans, but I mean, we weren't going to watch Titans. Um, so yeah, I, I don't understand it. And this corporate logic for me doesn't make sense. Um, so I'm not quite sure what's happening here because it just folded in and sunset instead of starving it for content like the way that they are which is uh miles how miles mcnutt phrased it when he was tweeting about this a little bit is that they're just starving dc universe in a way um and doesn't make sense to me yeah i am curious if uh i should be watching doom patrol now that it's on hbo max is this a show worth exploring or i think people have enjoyed it um, so if we want to like circle around to it, because we're going to circle around to stuff. It's not um, like we won't have time. Yeah. So I think it might be something worth considering. Um, I'm, it's not a franchise that I've been particularly interested in um, yeah, I mean, in general. Um, but I do really like Timothy Dalton in like, especially like late era stage Timothy Dalton, where he's playing with the idea of who Timothy Dalton is. 
Um, so maybe we can, we can definitely figure that out. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, entertain the, 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 the concept listeners. If you have a preference on this, reach out and let us know. Um, but that will wrap up our conversation about Harley Quinn season two available. Like we said earlier on HBO max, um, well worth your time, glowing recommendation from the televerse. Um, if you show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find the M4A chaptered feed, the MP- MP3 unchaptered feed, both on uh, Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a rating or review. We're also up in Stitcher. And then, of course, we're both on uh, the, the we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. And Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thanks, Noel. Uh, yeah, super fun. Yeah. I want to go watch... I'm going to go rewatch Harley Quinn, but I have other things I need to watch first, but like that, like maybe it, it's super fun. Listeners go watch it. If you haven't watched it yet, uh, as long as you are okay, we should have mentioned this with hyper violence, lots of swearing, serious adult content. So if any younger people are listening, we are not recommending this to you. No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, you, you know, your relationship with your parents and the viewing they feel is appropriate and everything. But when you're older, Seek it out. Okay. Um, that will wrap up the, the podcast. Thank you, Noel. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.